Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 50. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in a tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All the Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed the seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizram. So Jacob's son did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. There are a lot of inflatable Santa Claus around these days. Have you noticed that? In, in my neighborhood, these are they're everywhere. They're on, they're on a lot of lawns around. Everywhere there's... I look, there's Santa. 
Santa. We want to be cheerful this season, right? We want to, it, it's in our songs, it's in our front lawns all over the place. We want to be lighthearted. And I, I admit that I feel a tension right now because the reason is that I feel this pull into like the, the cheerful mindset and I can go there, we can go there to the extent that we, we, we kind of close off from the world. You can turn up the Santa music if you, if you turn down the radio and the kinds of things that are going on in the world right now. If you, if you shut yourself off from those things, then, then we can be cheerful. Well, in the church, we're in the Advent season right now, and, and we're in, in the book of Genesis. And, and here, it's different because here I feel no tension because the, the story of Genesis, the story of Jesus Christ coming into the world, is a story that does not ignore the, the brokenness and the pain of the world. It absolutely sees and recognizes the brokenness and pain of the world. But more, because the gospel story does not just report on the darkness the way that the news does. The gospel story does look at and see the darkness and it shines a light, a light of hope, a light of hope. And we need hope. We need hope. In a world filled with darkness, we need light and you need light. This is not the kind of light that, that, that shines from outside, from, from out of your own heart. It's not, a, it's not a kind of hope that you, you just like muster up within yourselves. It's not a hope that you will to exist somehow. It's a, it's a light that comes to you from outside of you. Because it's a hope that's not based, it's not based on what you can do. It's a hope that's not based on our, our society somehow becoming better. It's a hope and it's a light that is that rests on what God is doing in the world and his work in Jesus Christ. So we're going to finish off the book of Genesis today. Uh, you just heard read all of chapter 50. That's the last chapter of Genesis. And we're going to see in this passage true hope, true light. It, it's a hope in the face of life and death. It's a hope that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, um, as we're going to see as we look, look, look through this passage. So in two parts of the sermon, we're going to see your hope in life and your hope in death. And I'm going to look at the passage in reverse order. Um, so we're going to start with verse 15 and look at our hope in life. And then after that, we'll look at the, the burial narrative, uh, starting in verse 1. And there we'll see hope in death. So, hope in life. Joseph is the central character of this chapter, and he's actually the central character for the whole last section of Genesis, chapters 37 to 50. And beginning last Sunday, we saw the narrative take Joseph down, 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 down into uh, suffering, in fact. 
In fact, Joseph descends into every kind of suffering that you see in the book of Genesis. He's born into a dysfunctional family with foolish parents, his father in particular, foolish favoritism. And his brothers see the way that that Jacob favors Joseph, and so they hate Joseph. And one day when he's totally vulnerable, this is recap from last Sunday, right? One day when he's totally vulnerable, he's on his own, far from home, his brothers attack him, they steal his, his coat, his special coat, they throw him into a pit, they sell him to get rid of him. This is human trafficking. Sold to Egypt, far from home, all alone as an immigrant, a foreigner. Sometime after he gets to Egypt, he finds himself working in the, the house of a wealthy man. And it turns out that the woman of the house is a sexual predator. She sees a chance with Joseph And one day she pushes it too far, and Joseph runs away. So what she does in this vulnerable moment, when she might be found out, she, in order to protect herself, she accuses Joseph of being a sexual predator. And the immigrant, the foreigner, is put in prison. Joseph goes to jail. Joseph suffers. He's he's at the lowest of the low. He's in a prison in Egypt with with no no one around him, no one to support him, to care for him. He's all alone. Every kind of suffering in Genesis, wave upon wave, has gone over him. Family feuding, theft, violence, abuse, racism, deceit, isolation, shame. It's all there. It's all there upon Joseph in his story. Genesis is very dark. I mean, do you feel the darkness of this story? Now, it's easy to miss because there's also hope in Genesis. Because right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning, God made a promise. God made a promise to save his lost human beings to save his creation and he would do it through a descendant of the woman, he says. God said that this descendant would suffer. The snake would strike his heel, God said. But the servant, despite his suffering, the servant would crush the head of the snake and everything he stands for his deception, everything. And what you see in Joseph, his life, in effect, you see the serpent like ravage Joseph's heel with all of this suffering. But in spite of everything, you see Joseph rise up and crush the head of the serpent. In our passage today, Joseph is not in prison, not anymore. He's a politician. He manages the ministry of disaster relief, in fact, uh, because the whole world is in the chokehold of a famine at, at, at this time in this passage we're reading. And it's been years 
in this famine. Now, some years before the famine began, Joseph had a chance encounter with Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in the land, in the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Joseph had a, had a, a, a chance encounter with him, and Joseph actually impressed Pharaoh so much that on the spot, Pharaoh appointed him his right-hand man. His right-hand man to, to manage all the preparation for the famine, which was coming. And once that famine came, it's Joseph's job to manage the entire response to the famine, the national response to this crisis, this international crisis that has seized the ancient Near East at this time. And now, in our passage we're looking at today, now his brothers, um, the brothers who abused him, who violated his dignity, the brothers who sold him, they're terrified because their father is dead, has just died. And it seemed like, it seemed like Joseph had forgiven their brothers, but how do they know? Maybe that was just for the sake of their father. Did Joseph really forgive them? Or was it all for the sake of their father Jacob? Now he's gone. Payback time. Verse 15. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they make a plan. They send a messenger to go to Joseph and to say, in effect, um, to say, Dad told us to tell you, please forgive your brothers and be nice to them. Who, who knows if this is true or if he made it up, if, if the brothers made it up completely, right? Anyway, they send this messenger, and then they go in person, and they, and verse 18, his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And what we have here is a very honest picture of the Christian life. These brothers are forgiven. They're reconciled. They're living in the kingdom, living in care and protection. Uh, but they have in mind that maybe, maybe actually the most important thing is their failures. Maybe, after all, what matters most at the end of the day is how they blew it. And maybe that's a real thought in your mind today as well. You believe in Jesus. That, that's well and good. That's fine. But at the end of the day, maybe what really matters is, um, is your failures. Maybe what really matters is your dysfunctional family. Do you have one of those? And how you've spent your life dealing with that and with dysfunctional coping mechanisms. Maybe what really matters is, is what you've done or what was done to you and how you've responded to that with your own dysfunction and failure. Okay, that's how the brothers are thinking, right? Does it sound familiar? 
Now you, you must see what Joseph says to them next. Look at this, verse 19. Do not be afraid, he says to them. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to save many lives. Grace, grace to the brothers. And grace to you. What is the most important thing about Joseph, we might ask? Is it that he was abused, betrayed? Is that the most important thing about him, that, that he was a target of sexual abuse? As a vulnerable immigrant, are, are any of those the most important thing about Joseph? The most important thing about Joseph is that he reigns and grace flows from his throne. Grace flows to his brothers. They threw him into a pit. And while he was crying out, as a, as a young man, right, last Sunday, 17 years ago, threw him into a pit as a young man with, and with his cries in, in, in their ears, begging them, what do they do? They sit down and they eat a meal. In response, Joseph says, look at verse 21. In response, he says, I will provide. He's, in effect, I will provide three meals a day for you and all of your children forever. Grace. Grace to them. And he reassured them. And he spoke kindly to them. This is the grace of Jesus Christ to you. And how Joseph treats his brothers, how we see it here, is a picture of how Jesus treats you, beloved. It is. Jesus is the suffering one, betrayed by his brothers. But is that the most important thing about Jesus? That he was betrayed? And will he betray those who betrayed him? Will he act like a snake? He came to crush the snake. He came to crush the snake and everything the snake stands for. And you see that supremely on the cross. That during his execution, Jesus prayed for his enemies, for his brothers who betrayed him. He forgave them. Jesus... On the, you, you see him on the cross crush that spirit of ungodly vengeance on the cross. And like Joseph, the most important thing about Jesus today is that he reigns and grace flows from his throne to you, to his people. His grace forgives your sins so that whatever dysfunction is in your family, or what was done to you and how you've responded in, in whatever kind of way you've responded with, with vengeance or with despair or with self-hatred, that does not define you. It does not. And what those brothers did, as we see in our passage, what they did is forgiven. 
is pardoned. Joseph is actually grieved when they come and, and they act as though it's not forg- or as though the forgiveness was not genuine. And now they have to manipulate and manage and try to. He's grieved. He's, it, it pains him. Do you see his character? And do you see in Joseph the character of Jesus Christ to you? If you believe in Jesus, if you've been baptized, then I say to you, you belong to him. You're his. And whatever you may have done, whatever, whatever, is, whatever sin you may have done, whatever's in your past, um, sin does not define you. Not in his kingdom, not anymore. And that is not, it's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to him, if you live under his reign, in his care, then even the pain and the brokenness of this world, the very real pain and the pain of life, even amidst that, you can have real hope. I was, I was very struck by the songs that we sang this morning. I've never noticed this, actually. Um, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The first verse talks about mourning in, in lonely exile. That is real pain and darkness. But rejoice is the chorus. Again, and it rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to you, daughter of God, child of God, son of the Most High. The next song as well. I appreciate these song choices, Tao. The second verse, the night is dark. Is it? Yes. But I'm not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Hope, a real hope in the midst of the darkness, a real hope that is yours through Jesus. You can have real hope because this is this is a hope that is not resting on your circumstances or your power or ability to change things. Hope is resting on Jesus. He loves you. He provides for you. He, and he is speaking kindly to you today as he spoke to his brothers in the passage we're looking at. His word to you is a word of grace. And if you're here and you're considering the Christian faith, um, if maybe you're wondering what the next step with Jesus might look like, um, I'd invite you to consider this. Where is the weight of your hope resting? I wonder. Where is your hope resting? You, you hope that the future will be, will be better than the present or better than the past in some way. So what is going to make the difference what um, what thing, or what like what is the the agent of change that's going to bring the hope into fulfillment? Right? Is it someone, um, something? Is it yourself? Where does your hope rest? Whatever it is, it's a an anxious thing 
uh, to put your hope there, to rest your hope there. Your hope is weighty, it's heavy. Uh, it, it's an anxious thing to rest your hope on, on any of these things. Because your emotional well-being and your, your entire mental health is like resting on that. And there is a real possibility that it will fail to deliver on what you hope for. So it's an anxious thing. And I believe Jesus is saying to you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's, that's twice in our passage. Do you, do you see that? Do not be afraid. And Jesus said on another time, he said, in this world you will have many troubles, but do not be afraid. Take heart, for I have overcome the world, says Jesus. And there is no other thing that you could hope in or rest your hope upon that can say that. I have overcome the world, says Jesus. If you're considering the Christian faith, here's what a next step could look like. The next step would look like to, to realize that, that Jesus is not only an, an interesting person, um, not only a compelling religious and, and, and moral teacher, um, he is all those things, but the next step could look like when you realize that, that Jesus um, can give you real hope in this life, a resilient hope amid the dark night, amid mourning in exile. And what's more, Jesus will give you a hope in the face of death. Now, that's the, that's the second point here. Death is front and center in this passage. Did you notice that? Um, it begins with death. It's Jacob's death. It ends with Joseph's death. And I want to ask this question, what good is a hope in life if it doesn't stand up in the face of death? What good is that? The answer is here in our passage. There's a, there's, there's a key word here. It's um, in, in, in this burial narrative, beginning in verse 1 and going to verses, what is it, 15 or so. Um, it's the Hebrew word to go up. Listen to this in verse, verse 5, starting in verse 5. Joseph says, My father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. It's the same word three times. And again in verse 9, four times. Egypt is, has, has been, in the narrative of Genesis, the land of descent. The land of going down, down, down. But after death, the movement is up, up, up. You see, in this passage, this is so subtle. This is really, we have to un unpack this together in order to see this. Verse 13, they carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah. This is the burial cave that Abraham had bought a bunch of, like 20 chapters before this. 
Abraham purchased this cave, the only piece of land that he owned in the whole land that was promised to him. And it has an interesting name. Um, if you pick up a commentary, you might read that there's Hebrew wordplay going on here, Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah. The Hebrew word for cave looks like the word for nakedness. And Machpelah means double or pear. Stay with me. So there's a cave and a field with trees around it and a place name that looks like the naked pear. Where else in Genesis have we seen a naked pear in a beautiful, natural setting? Genesis began in a garden, and it ends in a coffin in Egypt. Those are, those are the last words of Genesis in our passage. But there is a hope that passes through death in front of us here. Do you see that here? Jacob says, I'm going to die, but take my bones there to the cave of Machpelah. Take my bones back to Eden. Back to that place. It's a picture of hope in resurrection, friends. It matters to Jacob that his bones will rest and, and will go there to that place. Because in some sense, Jacob knows that death is not the end. And for us, Jesus shines the light on this hope more brightly. He said to a crowd one day, listen to what he said and what he says to you today, right now. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you put your hope in him, here's what you find. You find that hoping in Jesus means a hope in this life and a hope that looks through death into eternal life with him in the perfect, fulfilled Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, with him and all his people forever. Grace West, we want to be a church that's growing in the grace of Christ. So let's turn to him together. Let's put our hope in him that he gives a hope in this life, and a hope for the life to come. Let's receive his grace. Let's receive his hope. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we need hope. We need hope. We need light. Uh, we need true light and a deep hope, both for ourselves and for our world, Lord, our, 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 our culture around us um, needs hope and needs light, a light that is real, um, not some kind of substitute, not a, 
Not a shallow cheerfulness, Lord. We need a real and, and, and a deep hope. We pray, O oh God, um, that you might shine this light in our hearts. We pray that in this season, Lord, that you may open doors for us uh, to speak of this hope. Lord, may we, may we not um, take this little light of mine and hide it under a bushel, Father. May you shine a light. And may the light of Jesus, um, the light and the hope of the world, may it grow brighter and brighter as we await his, his coming in glory. Lord, for the things that we have experienced, um, for the things that are in our past, may we ask this also, that the grace of the Lord Jesus will shine upon us uh, and that we may hear his word, his voice uh, speaking kindly to us and reassuring us. Reassuring us, do not be afraid. May we listen, Lord, and may we anticipate with joy his coming, his coming again to save us. Amen.